You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey everybody, Happy New Year and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman. Hard to believe we're through another year, uh, through another calendar year, um, but uh, we are 2023-2023. Not sure where you fall in the end of the spectrum when it comes to the whole New Year resolution thing. Uh, Not my cup of tea, not something that I typically do, uh, because I kind of have it in my mind that if you want to change something, then there's no better time than the present. Uh, I, f- I feel like the new year is an excuse for people to like uh, come up with stuff and I feel that's why most new year's resolutions fail uh, because the blockade in the first place that was preventing you from succeeding at whatever endeavor you were trying to trying to conquer or thing you were trying to improve upon uh the blockade is still there in your mind even though uh you have this new found beginning in the beginning of a calendar year but really uh the start of a new year doesn't really mean a whole lot in my mind uh just one more day closer to deer season right but uh, no i hope you guys had wonderful festivities uh i've got to spend some time with family uh got to see some folks i haven't seen a while over the new year so that was a that was a real treat um on the hunting end of things uh not gonna lie i haven't been able to be out a ton and i can't say that i've been able to pay attention a ton to anything in specific however i will say that the cameras that I have out my my cell cameras I have four cell cameras running currently at a couple different locations and right around that Christmas time frame when it was on the colder side and we had a little bit of weather action going on there some typical winter weather I had pretty good activity on most of the cameras 
and I will say here lately when we got this warm spell and as I speak it was just shy of 60 degrees where I was working today uh, it was like 58 to 60 most of the afternoon and it's been pretty warm rainy miserable um, my, my camera information my, my amount of pictures that I'm getting flowing through and sent to my phone have significantly dropped off and not really going to say much more than that other than uh, not getting as many pictures. I, I was able to go and sit on stand one evening. I saw seven deer. I was hunting with the bow that evening. I was hunting a spot that I, I couldn't hunt with the gun and had a great, great sit, saw a bunch of deer and uh, real quick, I had a, a crazy New Year's Day hunting uh, hunting event happen, hunting story. So, went with my my group of friends, uh, most of the mostly guys that I go to church with. We get together a lot in the muzzleloader season, and we uh, we got together at this one area, and we did this drive. And one of the guys in our group uh, shot a deer, and was unsure of his hit. And he, uh, unfortunately for him, he's been struggling with some health stuff. I, I think he's, uh, I think he might be battling rheumatoid arthritis. I know he's had Lyme disease, which is causing that. He's, it's just his mobility isn't what it should be. <clears throat> so he shoots this deer. They trail it in the open hardwoods on a top for, I'm going to say, 150 yards. And the deer starts to go down a very steep side hill that is very thick in rhododendron down towards a creek bottom. And as they approach this side hill, <clears throat> the they hear the deer get up, take off running, goes down through the, the thick stuff and goes across the creek. And that was that. So... Since I was one of the youngest in the group, um, and as was my my friend, one of my friends, uh, the two of us and one of the, the lead guys in our group went after this deer. There's the three of us. And the, the lead guy in the group, he did not have a gun with. He was just along for the trailing. So myself and my friend had... Uh, had our guns. We're on our hands and knees tracking this deer. We had to cross a creek, which was over my knee-high boots, so we all got wet. Uh, but we crossed the creek. We're on our hands and knees crawling through this thick rhododendron. I mean, it was like a place that I do bear drives, where it, that's how thick it was. And we got a point to a point in this track uh, where the lead guy said, I am not going through this anymore. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, why don't you take my gun and he decided he was going to parallel the thick stuff on a railroad bed. And I said, well, why don't you take my gun? Maybe we'll kick the deer out to you and uh, and go from there. And then we still have a gun. And no sooner did we split ways from him and we, the, the deer, instead of, it, it was it was traveling along the creek. We were, again, crawling on our hands and knees alongside this creek. And it makes a, a sharp turn. To go back to the creek and I step foot in the creek and I'm looking across the creek to try to determine where I think this deer may have entered the rhododendron on the other side and I look up and the deer is running up the creek away from us and, I, and I've, I'm like 
carrying on to my friend, like, like, shoot it, shoot it. And I think a combination of excitement, slipping on rocks, and a lack of experience in flintlock, I believe he he flinched. And I think the combination of all those things, he missed uh, pretty bad. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw the bolt fly like two feet in front of the deer. Uh, wasn't even close. But uh, yeah, so deer goes uh, running up the creek. I'm watching it go, no gun in my hand, kicking myself. And it's kind of stumbles and falls in the creek. And it's, you know, we can tell it's hit hard. And I, I, I feel bad when this happens. It's part of hunting. Um, but uh, kind of felt bad. So we, we quick got reloaded. And I called uh, called the lead guy over said, hey, bring my gun over here. Uh, we need it. So he crawls through. And, you know, this, this transpired about 10 minutes from, you know, my friend reloading his gun and, and the lead guy giving me uh giving me my gun back and as he's giving me my gun back uh, the deer gets up in the creek and my friend shoots and misses the deer again and the deer runs about another uh, 10 yards up the creek and lays down or stumbles falls lays down I think it just kind of laid down at the edge of the creek it was in pretty high water but uh, it it wasn't moving and uh that gave me enough time to put some pan powder in my gun. I had a, a shooting stick. I, I had a good rest. Uh, took my time while it was laying down, and it was like 80 yards. Squeezed it off and shot this deer and finished it off. But we were soaking wet, going through areas that were super duper thick, crazy thick, and uh, you know we ended up getting this deer that was soaking wet in the creek, and it made for a, a really cool scene and picture. <laughs> It was it was just a rodeo. It was one of those things that you had to be there to just kind of fathom what was going on. But it was just absolutely crazy. It was fun. Um, I'm I'm glad that it ended with us getting the deer, and it wasn't a a wounded deer, wounded uh, animal that we didn't recover. Um, you know, I was fortunate. For, you know, thank God for that. But that's uh, that was probably the the highlight of muzzleloader season. I've got a little bit more planned out here. I'm hoping to get out this weekend. Uh, it looks like the weather wind looks very good. So maybe I'll be able to uh, sneak out for an evening. And uh, I'm also the, the final weekend of our statewide season. We have a, our group hunt that we do at the cabin. Um, not sure how many guys are going this year, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll hunt together. Some of the guys have been going up earlier in the week. I'll just be there for Saturday to, uh, to help push and, and have fun. I do have to have some doe tags left that I can partake, but, uh, we'll see what happens there. And then I believe I will spend probably the final weekend of the extended season, um, at one of my spots that I have in the, the extended units. So hopefully between, um, between now and then, I have an opportunity to punch uh, one of my last tags with the flintlock. I always like to try to shoot one deer with the flintlock if I can. I've I've really grown fond of hunting with that gun. I'm I'm starting to build more and more confidence with it. I've shot it a lot the past few years since I I bought my new gun. I've shot it a lot, gained a lot more confidence with it, and uh, the more confidence I gain with it, the more comfortable I am hunting with it and taking shots. And I'd, I've said it before, I'd like to shoot a buck with it one day, so I don't know if that means I'm going to have to take my, my flintlock with in uh, gun season or to another state and uh, go hunt, but I'd, I'd love the opportunity to do that at some point. 
but uh, it's a it's a good problem to have when you're you're tagged out in early archery season, before you get to firearm season. In, in my opinion, but uh, that's kind of the late season hunting endeavors for myself. I hope you guys are enjoying late season or small game or trapping or something that gets you outside. It's, like I said, it's been pretty warm, and uh, I it's. It's enjoyable if, uh, if if you like that, but for, for late season deer hunting, it would not be my preferred preferred weather, but that's okay. So speaking of late season deer hunting, this week we have a guest that is no stranger to late season deer hunting, and, and in all reality, he is just a deer hunting fanatic that is really good and consistent on public land, and that is Alex Shabolak also known as Krizzy, on the In the Presence Hunting YouTube channel. And, you know, they're a group of guys from PA that have, a first of all, fantastic YouTube channel, but they hunt Pennsylvania and a couple surrounding states. They got a couple uh, couple episodes that launched on their, their trip to Kansas this past year. But uh, a bunch of hardworking, normal guys that just love to hunt and take their video cameras with and put some cool content out there. And that's how I came across them. Uh, I was watching them do some late-season hunting uh, in Maryland, I believe, with flintlock muzzleloaders and bows. And it have some really cool videos that I encourage you guys to check out because they're super high, you know, intense, you know, some deer drives and stuff like that. But you know these guys also do some late season hunting on the own with on their own with a bow, and Alex is no different. And he he's got a couple hunts on there, connecting with uh, some buck in the in the in the past during the late season. Uh, this is a guy that you know th- this year has already had a fantastic hunting season. You know he killed a great buck early season Maryland with the bow, killed a, a nice buck in northern Pennsylvania during our gun season, and he also killed a buck on public land in Illinois on, uh, I think it was his first time out there. Uh, really cool trip, but highly pressured public land and something that he is no stranger to and has his ways of going about uh, a piece of property and being methodical and, and making it happen and making it count. So we, we start this conversation off. He just got back from... I guess you call it a bucket list hunt out west in, I believe, Utah, where he he took down a big tom mountain lion with a bow, which uh, he, he talks a little bit about what that hunt was like and the weather, the, the type of hunting and the experience that he had with that. And we go from there and go into his whitetail hunting season a little bit, talk about Illinois, the, the things that he faced, that he learned out there, uh, the successes that he had. You know, he, he connected with a great buck on the final evening. And, you know, he, he, he goes from there. and we, we start talking about some late season hunting strategies. So, you know, stuff he's done in the past. We, we break down the hunt that he had last season in Maryland for the buck he killed and talk about some of the plans that he has for the rest of January here in the late season and talking about breaking food de- food sources down, uh, how to access some of these areas, and uh, a bunch more that I think is going to be real ve- real relevant for everybody that's listening to this. You know, he's, he's a guy that just has a ton of time in the woods scouting, and uh, he, he's not afraid to ad- to adventure out and figure out where the deer are and put a game plan together to put one down. 
So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I know I enjoyed this conversation, and he and the rest of the In the Presence team are uh, are guests that I would love to have back on the show. So sit back and enjoy this episode, and I hope you guys have a great week. Hey, we're rolling with uh, Alex Shibolak. I'm hoping I said that right. We just did a little practice run of that. But Alex, uh, also known as Crizzy on the In the Presence YouTube channel. Um, man, thanks for hopping on, taking the time, and, and chatting with us. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you uh, just came off of one heck of a hunt. I was I, I noticed on social media you uh, you posting kind of a, a dream come true hunt, I'm assuming. It looked like you were out in Utah. Yeah, we so we were in uh, southwest Utah, and uh, I had Nevada tag too because sometimes we go in and he goes into Nevada, so I got a tag for a uh, a mountain lion just in case we would make it happen in Nevada. <clears throat> okay, okay. So was that? So uh, go ahead, tell me about it because I was that just looked like a once in a once in an every so often kind of situation, and the some of the footage you put up so far was pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, like I said, um, I always wanted to kill my line. Uh, two years ago, I got more serious about it. And it was funny, um, back in uh, January 2021, um, me and my daughter were watching, I think it was it was either January or December, me and my daughter were watching the movie Spirit, and uh, Spirit fights a mountain lion in the movie, and she said something along the lines of me killing a mountain lion or protecting her from a mountain lion. I was like, well, you want me to hunt a mountain lion? And she was like, yeah. And, and that's when I got real serious about it. Um, I checked out three different outfitters. Two of them were in Utah. And then one of them was up in Idaho. And I basically narrowed it all down to uh, Tyler Bowler hunting in uh, southwest Utah. That's so, that's and, really cool. And, uh I mean, it was a heck of experience, you know. I didn't really, like, I kind of watched some YouTube videos and kind of always seen how it was done um, with the dogs. Uh, he said we would be, you know, either riding around or walking canyons or riding horses with the dogs. And uh, we got out there, man, and, you know, you know, right off the bat, Tyler and one of his guys met up with us, and he was super cool, down-to-earth guy, easy to get along with. You know, you didn't have to... You didn't have to be somebody else around him. You could just be yourself and have a good time. And, you know, that whole week I had fun. And, you know, I told him before I even went out there, you know, hunting's hunting. I know, like, whether I, I'm going out there with the intentions of shooting a Tom, I didn't want nothing less. And I was going to go home empty-handed. And, you know, Tyler, every single morning we were getting dogs ready. We were out, and, you know, getting after tracks. And we treat a female and, um, he passed up, we passed up like a couple tracks that he assumed to be females or juveniles. And, um, towards the end there on the last day, we cut a Tom track and he basically looked at me and said, man, you ready to rock? And I was like, heck yeah, dude. And he let them dogs rip and they probably had that thing treed within 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so was that hunt everything that you would expect it to be? And I mean, I, I mean, I'm really green cause I'm a, I'm, Pennsylvania hunter and that's not a, a hunt that I've ever experienced but like give me a like what was the average day consisting of and what was the what, what was the the average track like as far as you know distance and time spent on it and dogs working stuff like that's all foreign to me yeah so the average day was uh, we show up at what they refer to as doghouse um 
we'd load up all the dogs. Uh, me and my buddy just kind of helped out out of good out of good heart. We would just kind of help them out. And, and to me, I wanted to I wanted to have my hands in it. You know, what I mean, I wanted to experience it and do it all that I could. And we'd load all the dogs up and we'd drive around um, every single morning till about twelve or one o'clock. And his goal was to look for uh, tracks that he assumed to be twelve to fifteen hours old. I guess what happens is eventually that sun comes up and it burns that moisture off and with it, it takes the scent. So once that track gets too old, <clears throat> it's not that then dogs might not be able to smell it, but they might have a harder time tracking it. And uh, so, like I said, you know, we might, and one day might have been like the one day we hiked into this canyon. This canyon was like three and a half miles long and it was just this, ledgy rocky canyon with this creek thrown uh flowing through it and on either side was a wintering range for deer and we saw the deer going in and he knew there was a female hanging out in that area and they'll um, they'll travel 50 to 100 miles looking for females because they breed all year long when they come in to eat and we were after a big tom near the lodge not far from the lodge where i was staying and um <clears throat> like i said he there was one time where he wanted to take the horses out, but I never rode a horse before. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wouldn't kinda... be too keen on that either myself. Yeah, but he was just like, well, you just got to hold on, that's all, you know. And I would have been down for it, but uh, at the same time, it was pretty comfortable, I guess, sitting in the truck. But, like, I think that's, for the most part, uh, people have to kind of get used to uh, sitting in a truck when you're looking for a track because you're not just looking for tracks, you're looking for the right track, you know. Um, like I said, if I, if I wanted to kill a female, it could have happened very early. Um, and, uh, that, but that's not what I was after. And Tyler, like, he's a fourth generation dry ground mountain lion hunter. Um, I mean, that dude would, I don't know how he did it, man. He would, he would look out the, look out the window. His eyes were glued to the, the side of the road, whether it was dirt or snow. And even in the dirt, he would just pick up tracks that most people would never pick up. Mm. And, uh, he would usually determine, you know, what sex it was or if it was bigger or smaller and if how fresh it was and it was pretty impressive but uh, <clears throat> uh the hiking as far as like any of the hiking goes it, it's definitely something you want to try and get in shape for because when it's go time like that like he'll do his best to get close you know with a vehicle or whatever but you know like I said, we had a hike in, I think it was like 2.1 or 2.5 miles in to kill my cat. And you know, you're trying to keep up with Tyler and his, his guides right behind you. And, um, you know, you want to get up there as quick as possible, I guess. And we're walking through the snow, so the snow is just burning you out. So, <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, did you guys get to do many, did you get to get on many tracks other than the Tom that you killed? Um, we got on, I think, about three, three different tracks. So it was like a female, and then it was like a, it was like a decent track, but like it was kind of one of them things where like they didn't think it was a, it was a big tom. Uh, it could have been like a, you know, another big female or something like that. So it was like one of those things where he didn't really want to pursue it. And then there was a female with uh, two juveniles about, um, hanging out with her, or two yearlings, I guess. Mm. Like I really was only pursuing on wanting to get a, on what they knew was a, a big tom. Gotcha. When that when that ground out there is like real frozen, or even the snow is frozen, those cats 
they skate right across it. Well, this cat kind of messed up. He went underneath a cedar tree where there was no snow. And when he left the cedar tree, he left dirty paw prints going across the snow. Huh. That's that's unique. Yeah. So the, uh, man, that, that's a, that's a very unique hunt, very different. A lot of the Western hunts I think are just because there's like a lot of Western hunts I think of you, there's a lot of time glassing and, and calling and stuff, which is just so different to what I'm used to out East, but that's a, that's a fantastic experience. And, uh, I'm assuming based on the amount of time I, I, I shouldn't assume, but I'm assuming the amount of time you've had invested with, uh, with this out of state hunt and the amount of whitetails you had, I'm not sure what your late season hunting endeavors, uh, look like this year, but man, that was kind of what, uh, what I wanted to reach out and talk to you about. But uh, before we get into that, uh, I didn't do a very good job of my introduction other than saying your name, but tell me a little bit about you and uh, the In the Presence YouTube channel, and, and we'll kind of go in uh, in from there. Uh, yeah, so um, like I said, uh, I mean, I grew up here in South Central Pennsylvania. I moved up here when I was 10 years old, and uh, I've kind of been hunting ever since. I got I got into bow hunting, actually, right around the age of, um, 17 or 18, but I started hunting public land at the age of 16. It seems like I got the driver's license because I grew up like a rifle hunting, hunting Potter County, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, the mountains, Tioga County, all that. Um, that was, that was my, that's where my roots are. And then, um, once I got my license, I didn't depend on my dad anymore to take me up there. I was all over the place. Uh, next thing you know, I'm all my, locally, I'm just, everywhere hunting any piece of public I could find and because all I was doing was going to high school and you know uh at the time and I had so much time in the world to really discover a lot of places and then uh <clears throat> like I said uh as I got older I got a lot more serious I think right around 17 or 18 like I said is uh I got real hard into bow hunting and I started like white sales on my parents computer using google maps and I would print out pieces of paper and, uh, you know, take a pen and draw like deer bedding area. The best direct I stayed for. And, um, <clears throat> and then, uh, I met, I met Tim probably, oh, I don't even know. I met Tim probably back in 2000. Started hunting with him more. And I met Dean probably about three or four years ago. And Jason, I always kind of knew Jason because we were in fear on this uh, Facebook group. And uh, I knew he was a partner and smoke hunter. And him and Lane had some connection together. And basically, uh, well, after Lane made his YouTube group, we, uh, he asked for me and Tim and, and uh, Jason. And uh, we just kind of been, you know, ever since we've been putting our best film out that we can being self filmers for the most part and we're all pretty uh pretty good hunters i would say you know for areas that we hunt yeah, I would um, definitely echo the, this emphasis on the on the the good hunters of watching your your channels. You guys kind of all have your own niche and your own style, but you guys get a lot of really cool footage in the places you hunt. Um, a lot of good success, and uh, uh, you know, all, you know, hats off to yourself. It looks like uh, you've had quite a quite a hunting season this year. I mean, I wouldn't mind if you would just briefly uh, share with us the 
the uh, the bucks you've been able to put down this year because you've been able to do it in multiple states this year. Yeah, so um, I shot that I shot that uh, big eight point down there. In, uh, what was that? A September twenty eighth time frame, I think it was. And then uh, that Potter County buck, I shot him opening day of rifle season. That was the first time I hunted Potter County opening day of rifle season, and I don't even I couldn't even tell you how long. Probably since. 2017, 2018 was the last time, or no, 2016, somewhere in there was the last time I ever hunted Potter County and opening day rifle. And then uh, me and my buddy now for the past, well, we went out to Kansas last year and shot some bucks. So this year we decided, hey, man, let's go to Illinois and give that a try, you know. And we went to good old Pike County, Illinois. You know, you hear so much about Pike County, Illinois, and Man, we got out there and the pressure was freaking tough, dude. It was through the roof and mm. there was pe- there was people almost everywhere. But like, you know, at the same time we were seeing bucks. At my first sit in, I saw three bucks that night, and one of them was a pretty good one. And um, <clears throat> my buddy, he was kind of he kind of kept running into people. It seemed like, and towards the tail end of the trip, there I pulled it off there 30 minutes before dark. It was kind of one of those situations where, like, I was seeing deer, I was around deer, I just needed the right deer to come by. I almost killed one in there where I shot that buck three days prior, but he come into my wind and, and winded me, like, probably less than 20 yards. He stopped behind this big tree with vines all over it, and I had no shot, and he winded me. And he did end up hitting a buck in a pinch point that he hunted for a couple of days there. It was really tight pinch, and... Unfortunately, he was never able to recover that deer. He uh, hit it pretty low in the arm. And um, mm. like, like I said, just avoiding the pressure really was the, was the key. You're just trying to, you know, get in any little nook and cranny you could. Where those, I think a lot of them deer, even because we were talking to this one boy from Georgia, and it seemed like a lot of them deer were catching on to, catching on to people where they were sitting and avoiding them. So. Yeah, so what did you – I'm kind of curious then. How did you combat that? Did that mean more boot leather, or did you just have to sit back and analyze it a little bit closer than other people? Like, what did that look like for for uh, you to adjust to that that heavy of pressure? Yeah, so um, when we got there, my, my, first, my first goal was I did a lot of cyber scouting. So I dove, we dove back in on a piece pretty far back in. And I got I got right into this corner of this piece. Like I mean, it was basically as far as you can get, and it was the only the only way in there was from one parking lot. I mean, it was it's a pretty big hike, and then it drops all the way down into this big drainage, and then you kind of got to go up this other hill. And um, like I said, I got up in there. I didn't see no signs of people. I never saw anyone. And, uh, that first night I saw deer. So, and I saw that, I saw that pretty good buck there right, right around dark. So I left all my, uh, all my film gear. I left everything in the tree but my camera and my bow. And I came back the next morning and then I didn't see every buck I saw was only like a little basket rack or a spike or something like that. And that kind of right there tells me, okay, you know, this is like a spot you want to kind of throw in your back pocket, but there's more, there's more to explore. You know, you can't just depend on that. 
I could have probably sat it out and maybe eventually killed a buck there, but, uh, you know, I wanted to expand my, uh, you know, expand my options, I guess. And my buddy, he actually ended up seeing somebody that night before, or actually, no, he went out that morning and saw uh, like 140, 130-inch deer. But I, like, it was funny because I dropped him a pin on the map, and he and he was like, man, he ended up sitting a little bit up the hill from where I had that pin. And if he was on that pin, he said he probably would have been able to hit that 140 that came by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, like I said, it was, we didn't do nearly as much scouting as we did when we were in Kansas. Um, I think it's because, like, there was, like, three pieces of public land that we were really focused on. And we were kind of bouncing back and forth on those three pieces there. And then we kind of narrowed it down to two pieces. And then within those two pieces, there was freaking, like, one or two locations that we were just hunting. And it kind of seemed like we were able to avoid people in those locations. And the one location that we hunted, um, we ran into a, two two kids from uh, Minnesota, I think they were. And um, they looked at, I, I basically told them I had to go across this creek. He kind of saw my buddy's truck parked there, and he stopped. And uh, he was like, what are you guys going across that, you know, what are you guys going up there across that creek for? He's like, I don't think that's public. But I was like, if you look on, on X Maps, it shows up as the W, you know, the uh, WMA or whatever as public. And... I mean, it's definitely, it's clearly public. And then he got on that map, and he was like, oh, man. He's like, I've been hunting here for years. I had no idea you could uh, get up in there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's only one spot to get up in there is, is through the creek. And it's, as soon as you come down off this road and make a bend, most people are just driving right past it, you know. And uh, I was able, my buddy would drop me off there in the morning, and then he would go down the road and hunt that pinch point. And like I said, we were bouncing back and forth between those two pieces and I kept hunting that top across that creek, and those deer, uh, there was a, uh, like a, almost like a uh, point, like a point with some blowdowns and thickets. So the right side of the point was all private property, but the left side of the point was all public land. And in the morning time, those deer would uh, basically get separated at that point. They only had, they only had two ways to go. They're either going up to private or they're coming on the public. Well. I kept hunting that, and then on the last day, and I wasn't seeing anybody up in there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, except for one guy had a, uh, he actually had a hang on right there on the creek, um, where I was crossing with a trail camera. Um, so I would just kind of wave to that every night. It was kind of funny though, because the night I dragged my buck out, the trail camera wasn't there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess he must, uh, pulled it out of there. And then those two boys from Georgia were hunting right across the road from me on the other top and uh like i said evening time about 30 minutes before dark it was actually real warm that entire week and uh it it dropped down the whole entire day just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and right before dark it was about 30 degrees and then that buck came up he actually crosses he crossed it out of the private there was a two doe a five point and they crossed up out of the private, and they come down across that ridge, and they're heading right towards that, um, towards the, uh, where that split is that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. 
and I had a northwest wind, which was the best wind for that spot. And uh, all like the rest of the day, or the rest of the, or earlier in the week, it was all south, and it just kind of like messed everything up every time I got in there. But I was just trying to stay around the deer, you know. And then that buck came right past me at like 20, 25 yards. So it's kind of funny because uh, I I filmed the entire week, and then I was just completely aggravated with myself on the last day, you know. And go figure, I don't take the camera gear. And, um, you know, I end up, end up killing that buck. So Yeah, that is the but, way it goes. It's just a string of bad luck. But, I mean, hats off to you if you're grinding it out. Um, to me, when you're able to go on a trip like you did there, public land, um, you said you were you only cyber scouted. You, you were never out there before in that ground? No, I was never out there before. I cyber scouted. I had some buddies that um, – have hunted it in the past but like i'm not the type of person that asks where people hunt you know what i mean mm-hmm, right so i was just kind of out there on my own doing my own things the only thing we really knew about was that pinch point um my buddy killed a 134 or actually no 142 inch buck in there about uh four or five years ago i think it was or something chasing a doe mm. so that's the only I really knew about, and I kind of branched off and did my own thing up there. And I passed up two bucks on that ridge. I got them on camera. Um, one was like a real cool looking, like turkey foot, you know, looking buck with four on one side. And um, I just really pulled myself about shooting that buck, and that would have been on film, but and that was actually out of the same tree. So, but, but I mean, that's hats off to you because that is not an easy feat with a bow and arrow, even in Pike County, Illinois, where you, you know, just yeah. shared with us the, the pressure was, was it more than you expected or was that about what you expected? Uh, it was, it was so much more than I expected. I didn't, it sounds stupid, but I didn't even realize that Pike County, Illinois is rated like number one, I guess, in the country for uh, deer hunting or um, number one county in the country or something like that for deer hunting or most Boone and Crockett bucks or something, mm. something I didn't, man, we got out there and I was just like, holy crap. But like, like you said, you know, like I was just trying to really analyze things and, and, uh, you know, bounce around, you know, kind of like a pinball, you know, I was just freaking back and forth trying to avoid hunters here and there. And, uh, I think like what I said, we got up in that, that, that creek crossing or whatever, um, where I was at, a lot of people were just coming down off that road and flowing right past it, and they weren't even thinking about it. It was just a little slither of land in between private property and the creek. and uh, <clears throat> But those deer were using it to come off of those ag fields or them grain, whatever they were, alfalfa fields. And then they would loop up back, they would loop back up around on top of the hill and then head over to the private. At, at any given point, you know, at some point, all the deer would eventually be on the private, you know. Right. But people were just kind of, kind of missing that, and you know, we were just kind of. People would ask how we were doing and what we're seeing and everything, you know. And uh, my buddy, it's it's funny, man. He could he could see thirty deer, and he would just be like, oh, I didn't see a thing, you know. And I'm kind of the type of person where, like, if someone asked me if I seen anything, I would just be like, oh, you know, I, I saw this buck and you know two doe or something like that. But uh, it. You know, you want to, you want to, everyone wants to succeed and shoot a big buck and you want to see people do good. But at the same time, when you're out there, man, you're out there to get it done and you know how it goes. You got to be low, 
Kentucky, so. Yeah, I always struggle with that, too. Like, when I go to a, a, you know, let's just say I go to a public land parking area up here in Pennsylvania somewhere, and you meet up with some hunters, and they're real nice, and, and you're talking, they're making general questions. Like, I hate, I, I don't want to lie to anybody. I don't I don't feel that I, I that hunting is that valuable. I need to lie to somebody, but I'm also, like, you, you don't want to give too much away in a sense because, you know, your time is valuable and everything else. But, you know, that's that's still, so I'm, but before we, we shift gears in our conversation, I have to ask when you were talking about this little sliver, uh, can you go a little bit, j- just give me your philosophy and your mindset about why you had confidence in this spot? Because, you know, so you talked about the creek, crossing this creek. I was cu- I'm was, i curious, like, was the creek difficult to cross, that that kept people from it? Or was it just that this little sliver was overlooked because, you know, like you said, those guys didn't realize it was public? And then, like, when you went over there and checked it out, what did you see anything in this section that said, this is giving me more confidence than the other places that I've been. And I'm going to put some time in here. Yeah. So, um, like I said, you go down that road and if you weren't, I think this, this piece of public is so big that, um, these boys from Minnesota, let me say they're, they're awesome to talk to. They shared some information with us. They showed me some pictures. One boy was after a buck in there that I'm telling you it had to be over 190 inch. Mm. He had he had the sheds to it and he was staying at the same hotel as us and he showed us the sheds and I was just I was blown away by the size of the, the size of the deer. Yeah, I don't. But we kind of stayed away from those boys. That was one thing I will say too that everyone out there kind of seemed to uh, be a little bit more respectful than other places that I've been to. Like if they knew you were hunting a certain area, they didn't really go in there. Same with them Georgia boys. You know, we knew they where they were at, but we didn't touch them all week. Uh, we knew where the Minnesota boys were focusing. We didn't touch them all week. And then me and my buddy, like I said, we found these two areas here. And uh, it was pretty low-key. Um, the creek, you had to put your muck boots on across the creek. You couldn't go on there with regular boots or sneakers. Um, so every single morning, I'd put my muck boots on. I'd get across the creek. I'd, you know, tip, uh, put my hiking shoes back on. In this hillside, um, they actually had a really hard crossing, basically where I was crossing the deer. And they would, in the morning times, they would sometimes cross that creek and head up towards them Georgia boys. Um, but there was a, there was big runways on that, on that hillside, which, you know, was that, it was just a long ridge. And the whole entire top side on the other side was just basically bedding. So it was a long ridge, um, running like, I think it was like east to west or something. Um, there's there's uh, rubs on it, and then there's scrapes up top. And then it was just simply the fact that every time I hunted there, I was seeing bucks, you know, just, and I was seeing doe. And in the morning time, I got up in there, the one morning I remember um, hearing two bucks sparring on the other side of the hill, I could just, well, I don't even know if they might've been fighting actually for about 10 or 15 seconds. And I just kind of stepped, I kept going in there to the same spot, the same tree. And there was a couple adjustments that I made, um, throughout the week. But for the most part, what kept me in there was just a uh, lack of people and the amount of deer I was continuing to see at some point. Um, I was going to shoot one, you know? So, yeah. and that, the way that was designed, it was, like I said, it was so, it was kind of skinny where like in the morning time, they were either coming up on your side or they're going on the private 
So I just needed one buck to come down that side. That was it, you know, like one one good shooter, and that's just kind of what you're what you're putting your you know hopes on right there. And that other spot, we kind of like we started to veer away from it because we were kind of seeing more action, I guess, rutting action and cruising action in the spot where I shot my buck. So we started just focusing on that, you know. But um, like I said, it it kind of being ignored and going undetected like that i think just really paid off as far as the deer movement that was taking place up in there it makes a lot of sense and when you when you do find those places are kind of like an aha moment for you but at the same time that's it, it's not like they're just uh it's not like they're just on every tree and around every corner i mean they can be hard to find but when you do i mean it paid off big and that's that's really really uh really special when you can put something like that together, especially on a, on an out of state trip like that. So I've, I've got to ask, um, with the, the amount of success that you've had, um, do you have any late season hunting left in you? Um, yeah. So, um, I was just out this morning, actually. I saw a doe, two yearlings, a uh, spike. And then, um, my one buddy, uh, he doesn't get a lot of time every year. He was actually the same guy that came with me to Illinois. Uh, other than his out west trip, he really doesn't get any time at all to hunt. So we went down to a different location, and um, I put a drive on for him. And he had about 120-inch buck come past him. He couldn't get a shot on it, and then he seen probably uh, 12 doe or something like that that end up circling back in. He don't even really – he don't shoot doe anyway, so. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to um, – try to get out the thing is like i just need to be selective and i need to capitalize on uh you know uh certain i guess moments or um you know when the time is right you know it's just usually what i do is i trying i try to do observation sits when i can um try not to interfere with what you expect you expect to be good bedding um focusing on high stem count high cover areas where these deer receive a minimum to no pressure, um, capitalizing on significant cold drops. Um, I know I just got back from Utah last Friday, and I'm telling you, Friday or Saturday was, was the two days, as far as I'm concerned, to kill a big buck. I mean, it dropped down to eight degrees. Them deer were moving, even the bucks, you know. And uh, But, yeah, I'm going to definitely try and get out here um this month as much as possible i i'm anxious to pick your brain a little bit more on this because i know uh you know i've I've watched was that uh last year two years ago that um you had uh you had that successful bow hunt in maryland on a late season buck i think it was and i remember you were talking about um getting in the bedroom and uh you know that that sounds um when you when you put it like that, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to get as close as possible to bedding as as we can, um, and make an ambush and make it happen. But uh, you know, as you were kind of alluding to on your Illinois hunt, uh, let's face it, the pressure is as high as it's ever been on 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 the local deer herd at this point, and we've got uh, we've got no leaf cover, uh, cold temperatures. I, I feel like the the weather conditions can make 
accessing very very difficult depending on conditions it just I feel like you, you you step foot into a wood lot and you blow absolutely every deer out of it in some senses so uh, yeah. it, there's a lot there's a lot more um you know, I, I find that the concepts of late season and early season are similar, but everything in late season is magnified. And I've not had a lot of good luck um, in late season buck hunting. Uh, fortunately for me, I've I've been tagged out a lot of cases. But last year would have been a year where maybe I could have used your your help a little bit. But you've you've seen to 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 hone in a little bit. So I mean, um, let let let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know locations you know you talked high stem counts you were talking uh bedding security cover and food cover so i mean dive into a little bit about uh, uh about that and some of the places that maybe you have an example that you're going to try to ambush um the rest of this season yeah yeah so um obviously in late season um uh, most deer are bedded before daylight um as i mean that's what a lot of people say, especially mature bucks. Um, so you definitely increase, you know, your chances of bumping deer in the morning, depending on the conditions. If it's stone quiet, it's crunchy. You're, you know, that those sounds are echoing through the forest. Those deer could be getting up and leaving as you're walking without you even knowing. Um, so to kind of relate on that, though, I, I try my best to. Um, when it's conditions like that, I try my very best to um, walk like uh, very very quietly as possible. Taking um, depending on what if I'm not rushing, try to take enough time to just stop and listen and just keep the keep the walking as deer like as possible. You know, you don't want to go crunch 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 through the woods. You want to try and sound like a deer that steps and stops and listens, steps and stops and listens. Um, you also want to think about, you know, your access. Your access is very important. Uh, depending on the wind, you want to avoid those food sources. Um, you want to give yourself enough time, as long as the wind is good, um, you want to give yourself enough time to get into those bedding areas, even if it means taking the long route. Um, like what I try and do is I'll try and avoid anywhere where I believe those bucks might step and come in contact with my ground scent, you know, so I'll make that loop or, you know what I mean? I'll go out of my way and come along the water and then take a straight shot up in, but kind of like, even if I have to walk in a direction to where if a buck's going to circle into the wind, I kind of got to walk in a bladed direction where he at least won't come in contact uh, with my uh, ground scent, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, right. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, it sounds easier than what it really is. You know? Late season hunting in general is just really hard. You got lack of cover. Um, I just feel like the deer can obviously hear, smell, see better. So, um, But you're, you're still saying, and I believe that the buck that I'm thinking of on, on uh, the YouTube channel, I believe was a morning hunt too, but you're still not afraid to hunt in the mornings in late season? No, so um, I don't. I'm not restricted to one area. Uh, people who are restricted one area, they're probably familiar with those areas. They kind of know how the deer operate. Um, so you, they kind of know, I guess, if, if they're going in the morning, might ruin their chances, and then they might not have another area to hunt. The thing about me is, I hunt all over Pennsylvania, Maryland. I hunt 
you know, where somebody might be hunting five spots, I'm hunting like 30 different spots, you know, and I've been doing it for so long that I really, I kind of like know where to shift and go to find these deer and focus on them isolated pockets of deer, you know, high stem count areas. And um, <clears throat> so I'm not really afraid to basically ruin a location. I mean, there's times where I went in, and, you know, I heard, a, I heard deer take off or, you know, what sounded like bucks jump off and, you know, morning rolls around and it's usually a bust. You kind of see some deer in the distance and, you know, you go back to the drawing board and then I've been on late season morning hunts where I'm surrounded by deer come sunrise, you know, and I think that really just kind of depends on, you know, your, what, you know, the plan that you take to kind of get in there and play in the wind. And if, if it's an area that you're familiar with, it kind of helps you better understand how deer operate in that certain area. And you can kind of like know what time you got to get in there, know what route to take. So being familiar with something definitely helps, but I like really I like your explanation on that, Alex. I'm sorry to cut you off there, but like that that discussing your five spots versus thirty spots and the the net that you cast in order to hone in there, I think is is really what is allowing you to be so aggressive and be successful because I think a lot of deer hunters like have it in their mind like okay I've got these five spots or I've got these seven spots and I've got to be very methodical and not mess it up because of those five to seven I might only have two spots that I think are really good so I've got to really and like I think that logic is what sets you apart in in your hunting strategy versus a lot of deer hunters yeah um, definitely, like if you're, you definitely want to take every hunt serious, you know, but especially in late season, but like when you're, if you got the time and you can move around, I mean, being mobile and, and focusing on them isolated areas and isolated pockets, man, high stem count areas, um, I've always found are the most successful as far as killing uh late season bucks or, um, late season deer, you know, while stand hunting, you definitely, and if you ruin it, it is what it is. Give it a week, give it two weeks, come back to it. Um, but definitely playing to win and being smart and just being mobile and trying to trying to really understand how you got to approach it and what time there. So yeah, it's there's definitely not a, a perfect science to it. There's there's definitely a little bit of luck involved. But I think the the time and the uh, the, the the larger area casting then are things that kind of resonate with me because I can think last year when I was hunting fairly hard um I was waiting for the perfect time the perfect wind perfect conditions because there was uh, a very few um, there was a very select few amount of places I wanted to put myself in a tree because that's where I thought I had the highest odds and I might have only got um, two instances where that uh, that occurred and I wasn't able to connect and I I yeah. that that's a big one uh, that's a that's a big one so one thing i would like to revert back you talked about the high stem count um, woody brow stuff that makes a lot of sense to me i can i can echo that i'm curious some of the areas that um you might be late season hunting this year or have late season hunting in the past are there other food sources in the general area that you're relating to and draw, kind of going to the drawing board are you hunting some some larger blocks of timber that's you know kind of relatable here in, in pa and we're we're kind of focused in on that uh woody browse mass crop type of habitat um just trying to get an idea of uh of of how you're you're 
you know, uh, approaching the, the area you're hunting and, and surrounding areas. Yeah, um, I definitely think you got to take into consideration, um, you know, the food sources when the, within the areas you're hunting. As far as, like, high stem count goes, you know, I like to really focus on, on uh, I can't really, I can't, as far as Maryland, I guess, goes, I'm hunting, like, I want to say some of them are big blocks of timber. Some of them are just kind of smaller blocks of timber and funnels and stuff like that, you know. But um, as far as, like, bedding areas go, I'm trying to focus on greenbrier, south-facing slopes. Um, I can't really, I don't know what type of tree it is. But there's um, there's a small type of tree down in Maryland um, where, where, you know, anytime you kind of encounter those trees, like, things are just super thick. Um, it seems like a lot of deer kind of hold up into that. And areas where, like, um, so I hunt, like, a lot of um, different, I really don't, I don't really want to give it away too much about, I mean, anyone that knows me knows where I hunt down there. But I would just say I do focus on, uh, as far as the reservoirs go that I hunt and everything like that, you know, you want to focus on isolated points and then peninsulas um, and those and those areas that are kind of out of view but covered by, you know, laurel and high stem count is where a lot of deer are going are gonna to bed up and kind of isolate themselves and get up and browse in the afternoon. Which I want to also say, like, any time, if it's like a couple, if it's like in the teens or low 20s for like a week or anything like that, you get a significant increase in, and temperature, like say, you know, low to mid upper forties, you know, you got to make sure you're out there on the edge of those bedding areas or in those bedding areas with the right wind, because those deer are going to be everywhere. You know what I mean? They spend all that time, uh, certain calories. And then all of a sudden they get that warm spike that allows them to move without having to sacrifice, uh, you know, energy to stay warm. And next thing you know, they're browsing in those bedding areas a lot on that high stem count <clears throat> yeah i i, I want to pick your brain on this one so uh, one thing i've noticed and i think some of it is relative to the weather conditions that you're you're hinting at but i've noticed when you get into uh late december mostly into that january time frame i've gone through some some trail camera history on some of my own cameras and some of them might be in uh, big wood sections uh, relative to, uh, you know, I'm just going to paint a scenario. One is that I'm thinking of is, is on a flat between a very large laurel thicket and the opposite side, there's a very prominent point that, you know, would, would travel deer and this camera was in between. And I've noticed that over the years as that camera has soaked and collected data, uh, I've noticed that there's a lot more mid-morning early afternoon and i'm not talking early afternoon like two three o'clock i'm talking like you know one o'clock sometimes um really surprised the amount of deer movement i've had um in the late season at that time frame you know a lot of time you're thinking the edge of darkness with pressure but it seems like late season some of the movement patterns that i've noticed are a little bit atypical and i'm i'm kind of curious um are, are a lot of the the hunts that you've had experience on and, and chasing uh I'm going to, I'm going to say mature buck relative to that area. Um, are you seeing similar things? Are you still seeing a lot of that right at the cover of darkness is when I'm connecting? Like what, what are your thoughts on that sporadic movement pattern comment? Um, so I think I'll come late season. A lot of people give up. Um, 
you can definitely find areas where deer start to become a little bit more relaxed. And um, deer do move when it's cold because they got to eat. They got to move, you know, and especially if you have a significant drop in weather. I mean, they're, they're definitely going to move. But deer, I don't think deer move like what people think they do when it gets super cold because they got to conserve energy to stay warm. But when you get that midday warmth, you know what I mean? That sun comes up, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're up. They're utilizing that warmth, that sun, um, because they're no longer attempting to burn calories to stay warm because the sun is now keeping them warm. You know what I mean? Right. So they kind of, they kind of capitalize on that midday warmth or that midday sun, late morning, early afternoon. They're up, they're browsing. They're getting some food in, food in them a while um, before I think they make their way out of that bedding area. And like I said, I think um, I notice, you know, year after year, people just tend to give up there. It starts to get too cold and they're just burnt out. And, you know, you can find areas where the deer are just up and moving, relaxed. I mean, there's times where I'd be driving down the road and I'd look into a uh, a patch of woods with some high stem count and you just see like you know six doe you know 11 o'clock in the afternoon feeding all standing up you know so I've, I've seen that too so um you know the one of the things you said you know talking 30 spots uh you're you're casting a, a pretty good size net in areas trying to bounce around uh i'm assuming and you can correct me if this is wrong but probably a lot of the areas that you're you're talking about in that those 30 areas you have either done a bunch of scouting or or hunting in the past that you have a at least a pretty decent uh familiarity with the area um to know how you want to access it and go um or or is is that an incorrect statement um, no, so, uh, like I said, I've been, for, for, as far as Maryland and Pennsylvania go, um, I've been hunting a lot of public land, uh, for a very long time, you know, since I was, like I said, 16, 17, 18 years old, I've been hunting, uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, public land now, I guess, and so a lot of areas I am, I am familiar with, I kind of know how to shift gears. And being a public land hunter, you got, I think that's very important because where you're killing deer in September, you may not kill them in November. And where you're killing them in November, you're not going to kill them in January. But you could kill them in September. You know, you could kill them in January where you possibly were killing them in September, you know, because they kind of go back to those old patterns. Mm-hmm. But that also depends on the uh, location and the type of pressure they're receiving. But um, <clears throat> uh, I think, like, being familiar definitely helps you know how to approach those areas as far as not being familiar with a certain area um i definitely try my best to uh, observate it close to that area or just cyber scout it real hard um you know get on try to get on like a 3d mode and and really look at it and try to figure out uh, which way they're going to be coming from and see if you can uh, pick up sort of vegetation, high stem count from a map, anything like that, you know, and, and see which way the best way to approach it is. So, like, something like that I would do, like, um, <clears throat> so, the, so this time of year, if I wanted to try a new area that was way back in um, where deer might be hiding now because of rifle season pressure and nobody's going back in there because it's, 
it's a super far walk. It's like one of those areas where I'm going to really look at it, you know, from like three or four different maps and uh, dive into it on what I believe the best conditions would be and see what happens. And um, I've done that a couple of times and end up shooting deer, you know. <laughs> uh, you kind of answered my next question in, in your uh, in what you just said there, but you talked about observation sits, and I was kind of curious. So, um, you know, if you're if you're going into let, let's just go with the the this thought process. Let's just say somebody had uh, really tough season. Uh, the places that they were hunt just just got their tail kicked, and they're looking to do something different. Uh, maybe they're and and they're going to go to either a new piece of public land or something that they're not as completely familiar with. And I was curious your your thought process, like you know, you, you talked about finding high stem count that that makes a ton of sense. Talked about south facing slopes and a couple other key features and things you're looking for as far as holding deer. Um, and you you'd mentioned observation sit, and I was I was kind of curious if there's anything else you'd add on about how not to, um, how do you necessarily take the temperature of accessing those spots? Because it's easy to get picked off if you're accessing it wrong, um, but you don't want to be out of the game. And I think you you answered an observation sit. Is there anything else that you're you, that's going through your mind when you're thinking, okay, there's let's just paint a picture and say it's a south-facing slope with with high stem count looking down into a bottom and you have to access it from from below. I mean, do you kind of look at it as I only want to push the envelope so far on my first sit to kind of see how deer react in this area and then dive in and, and or or you know maybe maybe you uh, you have a different opinion or on a synopsis over something like that. I'm not not quite sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you definitely got to kind of know how far, you know, is too far. Um, I, I would prefer not to push deer out and then try to come back in and hunt it. If that was something that did happen, I would definitely, uh, take into mind what type of deer I'm pushing out as far as bucks or does. And then, you know, think in my mind, okay, if I was to come in here and hunt this, how would I approach it? What tree would I sit in? Depending on the wind, blah, blah. But going into a new area you're looking for sign you're trying to find sign that turns into more sign that turns into a fresher sign and then you're like okay you know maybe i should just hold up here and uh climb a tree you know try to get up a tree 20 feet and try to overlook uh you know see what happens and, and if that doesn't work uh, a real good area like me i'm the type of person where i'll try and get to an advantage point i'll try and look at like last year um that buck that i shot I did an observation sit the night before. That was a south-facing slope. I was on the north-facing side across the other side. With all that cover being missing, I was really able to watch deer kind of go back and forth. But I assumed, because, you know, I assumed that where those deer were coming from was up the hill on this brushy knob where it kind of went thick to super thick. And I was like, man, I, I really think they'd probably be better right up there on that knob. And and I moved in there the next day. It just so happened to be perfect conditions. There was a little bit of wind. It was a consistent wind. I totally avoided anywhere where those deer would come in contact with my uh, uh, ground scent. Came up the south-facing slope, you know, on the backside there, that knoll. Set up, and come sunrise, those bucks were coming right into me. But, um, yeah, I guess... I guess you definitely want to. You don't want. You don't want to press too far, and you just 
I would just try to get to a vantage point and, and, and know once you see fresh sign, I guess, and, and like I said, sign that gets fresher, it's probably where you want to set up and, and try to observe, you know, a certain location. And that's I I, I kind of put you on the spot there because I know that's an extremely tough question to answer because there's a degree of that where it's like you're you're kind of going with it and you're you're learning as you go because I, I'm of the mindset where if if you're bumping deer obviously you're going too far but there's also something to be said where if you're not bumping deer at all like you're you might not be pushing in to the degree you need to to have success during daylight hours yeah. too yeah yeah i think uh like pumping deer that you definitely want to take into consideration at that point where those deer are bedding and where you need where you need to set up you know depending upon where they're bedding and how you need to set up whether it be you know a morning hunt or evening hunt um you know bumping deer you're seeing exactly where those deer are bedding um which and honestly, if you want to go back to early season, when I'm when I'm scouting for deer in early season, I'm the, I'm never I'm never scared to bump deer. I'll I'll scout a spot like I'm driving them out to somebody, and I'll I'll put pins on where these bucks jump up, and just because um, I bumped that buck, don't mean another buck's going to come in there a night or two later, smell his scent, and think, oh, you know, this is this, there's another buck bed here. I'll bed here too. And next thing you know, it's kind of related as a as a little early season buck bedding spot, you hunt that spot open a day, you know, open day of whatever, and you might shoot a buck there. That's really unique, and I, I've noticed that in your early season hunts too. I mean, you were in the thick of things in your early season hunts in the morning. And how many people do you know, or you've heard said, you know, avoid the mornings in early season, avoid the mornings in late season. It's a waste of time. And you know what? Um, I'll be the first to admit it in the type of hunting atmosphere that I am in certain private land places I hunt and stuff like that, I do avoid the morning hunts in certain cases just because um, of it being an intrusive tactic. But with the, the tactics you're going at, it's extremely effective, and it's it's really unique. Yeah, so most most mornings that I've killed my buck early September, most mornings that I've ever killed a buck in September, have been on some sort of cold drop between 10, let's say 10 to 20 degrees, somewhere in there. I know 20 degrees is a lot in, in September. I would say, you know, any sort of significant cold drop um, in September has always seemed to be the morning where I see a buck action or um, end up killing a buck. And that was like, I kind of refer to as um, those bedroom shits. It's like, prime conditions like it's the moment you know it's the perfect win it's you know a, a little it's a cold drop it went from 80 degrees or 70 degrees down to 58 degrees or something like that you know and like that's some people may think that's not much of a cold drop that's still warm but deer are so sensitive to that you know and and that's when you want to capitalize on a buck bedding and if, if it's your best spot it may not be the smartest idea but when you got 30 other spots to hunt you know what I mean? And they all kind of different from morning to rut to late season, you know, early season spots. It, it's something that I'm not afraid to do. Yeah, I, I think that really honed, that, that really, um, really echoes just like that style of hunting and, uh, and, and how to be successful with that. So, um, 
you were talking about um, cold drops in in uh, early season, and you had talked about some weather changes in late season that you really think um, help as far as deer movement and, and sitting on stance. So I'm just kind of curious, like if we were if we were going to go into the hypothetical world, let's just say um, you were going to get um, you were going to get a three-day window in the late season. You were just going to get one three-day window, and you were going to go in um, to try to get it done, shoot a good buck on public land. I, I'm curious if you could then also pick the weather conditions that you have during those three days. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, is there anything that – you'd really look at specifically you talked about temperature changes um wind speed stuff like that i'm just kind of curious what what paints the perfect scenario in your mind that gives you that confidence in late season that says man this is this is shaping up to be everything i need um so uh, i guess i would definitely be uh, i would definitely want a significant drop in temperature at least first morning you know, first day. so let's say you know it goes from um we'll say it goes from 35 degrees all of a sudden that night it drops down to like you know 18 degrees or something like that with a like a north wind or something it's just brutal out there you know in the morning time i'm 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 getting into a buck bed somewhere um because like i said you you can find an area that is not really that pressured and those deer might be coming back a little bit later giving enough time to kind of get set up and then the rest of those two days i'm hoping it's just i'm hoping it's like high at 28 and overnight it's getting down to the teens maybe even with a little bit of snow on the ground if there's definitely snow on the ground those deer are going to be moving they're going to be looking for food um like like we talked about those, those afternoon uh um temperature increases in temperature with the sun they're going to be browsing. They're going to be moving around. These are areas where you need to capitalize. Um, uh, minimal pressure to no pressure areas, high stem count. Like, that's when you need to be making your moves, man, when it's, I guess, th- that type of, uh, you know, temperature, I guess. You know, I, mm. that's what I, I go with as far as three days. That, and that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's really similar. So I I, I can't lie. I, I stole that question or, or I, I modified that question. I heard on another podcast with uh, Dan Infault, the hunting beast, and they had they'd asked yeah. him something along the lines of, you know, if you could pick one day, I'm going to – I think the question was, I'm a, I'm a bad person and – you're only allowed to hunt one day this year and you have to shoot a buck. And if you don't shoot a buck and get it done, then you can't hunt for the next 10 years or something like that. And they asked him, what would that day of the year be? And I think he just said like December 31st. And it was like really surprising, but he was talking about, um, a lot of the similar things that you just talked about with weather changes, um, congregation of deer on food sources, um, he just said that the hardest thing he said is a lot of the time the first thing that comes out in does and fawns and you got a bunch of eyes peeled on you and then the last thing that comes out is a buck. He goes, it's it's not necessarily getting on the deer; it's actually killing them when they're uh, you're in the bare open winter woods. Yeah, it's definitely. I can't I can't really tell you, man. Late season is gotta definitely hide, man. Gotta try your best. Like there's if you know where deer are coming from, like if you notice. Uh, 
that buck I shot last year in January, if you notice, I shot him on the other from the other side of the tree because I knew I was out in the open and that those deer would probably see me. So I I did my best to hide behind that tree, but it also almost cost me because I'm a right-handed shooter and I was facing the tree having to shoot from uh, the right side. And because I had the camera gear and everything, I couldn't turn around. So I kind of really got myself in a predicament where I had to like draw my bow in an awkward angle, end up uh, kind of hurt my shoulder doing that, and then use the stabilizer to move the camera over. Mm. So you definitely, definitely want to try and hide once they're in range. And I think the saddle hunt, saddle hunting, that kind of helps because you can kind of like move around the tree a little bit, but you know, you don't want to be doing too much because it don't really take much in deer, especially when you got a lot of eyes around you. Yeah, um, you kind of do a little bit of both. I know uh, you, you take your climber out, but did, you kind of did some saddle hunting too. Like, what's been your take on it? Have, have you have you made a hundred percent switch to saddle, or is it just another tool in your toolbox? Um, it's just another tool in my toolbox. I love hunting my uh, hunting with my climber. Um, what happened was back in 2019, I shot a mule deer in Wyoming, and um, my buddy didn't really bring a backpack. Uh, my buddy who came with me didn't really have a backpack. So I got stuck carrying most of the entire deer out all in one trip with some gun and some gear. And what happened was I, I ended up getting compression in my lower spine. Oh. Uh, so I ended up uh, going to, uh, um, God dang, I can't even think of it. What are they called? <laughs> a chiropractor mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years to try and uh, get that fixed. Now the problem is I hunt so much and I do so much tree work that the problem really never really fixed still there and um i kind of still suffer some pain from it so i can't always use my climber i have to use the saddle um so but i'm not a stranger to the saddle with the tree work i kind of breeze right into the saddle mm. i'm always comfortable with it i trust my equipment it's definitely very mobile i think it's a must-have for an out-of-state hunt because you never know what type of trees you're going to get into I like I like the saddle hunting, but when it comes down to it, you know, I like just being able to kind of sit in my climber, and I personally feel like I'm a lot quicker and quieter with my climber. Um, but they both have their, you know, pros and cons. Uh, they do. I mean, I've kind of used a little bit of, of both when it comes to hunting on public land and trying to have a mobile tree stand set up. But, I mean, there's – I think it's – it's we're at right now, we're kind of in – and don't take this the wrong way, anybody listening to this. We're kind of in a hype right now with saddle hunting because it's it's new, it's fresh, and it is a successful means. Um, but it's it's not like it completely supersedes every other form of mobile mobile elevated hunting because I can think of some places that I hunt in northern Pennsylvania where the trees are just extremely well suited for a climber tree stand. You can be up quick, yeah. quiet. And, and have a great vantage point, and you're not at a disadvantage um, using a climber at all. I mean, it's still a valuable tool that I really like to use, but like you said, like saddle hunting is it's just another tool. You don't know what kind of trees you're going to get into. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. So do you think you're going to be using a little bit of both as far as late season hunting this year? Yeah, so I actually just used my climber today um, about uh, – Towards the beginning of last year, I got um, hip, a hip belt for climber. So now I sit on my hips better, and um, which allows me to be able to carry it more. But yeah, I'll, I'll use I'll use both. Like um, 
like I said, I don't, they don't really ever, uh, further walks, I'm using the saddle. Potter County, um, I actually shot that buck this year out of my climber, but, um, like Potter County, I, I use a saddle a lot just because, you know, how, I don't know if you hunt up there much, but, um, you know, some of your might be two miles in. And, mm-hmm. You know, you're going to, you never, like, there are some good trees up there, but I never really kind of know where I'm going to myself up there I guess so I think hunting up there is a lot hunting down here it's different than hunting Maryland you know so even to relate back to the late season hunting with that too I think you know like we talked about your location you know you're going to hunt different states or parts of that state you're going to hunt differently than you would you know uh, say you would hunt Power County differently than you would hunt South Central Pennsylvania, where mm. I'm at. Mm. Would hunt, and you hunt Maryland because um, the food's different, the patterns are different, you know, every the environment's different. So, <clears throat> but yeah, no doubt. Well, I think one th- one of the biggest takeaways I had from my own personal hunting and late season hunting, you know, the 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 food source thing, you know that that rings to me because I'm always thinking food source and, and cover and stuff like that. But the, the casting of the net and the area that you put yourself into, I think it's one of the things that I, I find so hard to, to, to gauge what's appropriate for my own hunting. You know, you gotta, we gotta figure in, we, we didn't even talk about how you manage your time to be successful. And that's a, that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But I mean, when you got family work and everything else, managing your time is, is really important. It's hard to figure out, but when you relate that to, okay, this is how much time I have, how big of a net can I afford to cast and then be successful in that. But I, I definitely think to some degree in my own personal hunting, if, if I were to put a couple more things up my sleeve and have a little bit more confidence in a couple more areas, getting more aggressive would probably put me in some of those situations better. But Yeah. Anywho, it's... Uh, now, I, you're. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time, man. This is this has been a great conversation. Um, I, I really appreciate you kind of diving into the successes of your hunts this year, and uh, taking those the uh, the hunts from your past and just your your overall wealth of knowledge in public land hunting and late season hunting and just kind of giving your thoughts and laying it out there because I, I know darn well there's somebody listening that is. Uh, is in a struggle bus boat that's trying to fill a tag here. Um, I know uh, that's how I was last year, and it, it happens, but uh, I keep grinding it out. Late season still good opportunity. Yeah, um, it's always hard to put into words how I, how I hunt. You know, I never think about what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. You know, it's it's weird to explain, but if I, if I had to give, you know, somebody advice, I would just, you know, tell them to uh, uh, capitalize on – you know, weather conditions, and don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, he hunted private land all year and never killed a deer, actually missed a buck, and, and was just so frustrated. And I kept telling him, I said, man, there's more than one spot to kill a deer. And he finally went out on the last day of rifle season and shot a doe on public land to a spot he never hunted before. And I said, there you go, man. That's how you do it right there. You know, he just kind of dove in. With a lot of mountain laurel, got on this hillside and ended up shooting a doe. So don't ever be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and, and try to be as 
uh, strategic and smart as you can going into new areas, you know. <clears throat> that's that's really well said. Um, hey, any uh, any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap this one up? Um, no, I don't really, I don't really have any. You know, I'm going to try and get out here uh, this month and you know give it the best I can. But <clears throat> is that mostly going to be with the bow, or are you going to be taking any uh, any late season uh, muzzleloader out? Uh, I am going to try and get my. I'm going to try and get out with the flintlock. I might try and get up to my uh, the Pirate County with my daughter um, at my brother Raymond's cabin to see if I can shoot a doe. But for the most part, uh, we're going to be doing some deer drives. Um, we're going to be. Uh, let's see, what is it? Next week, we actually we're going to be going down to Maryland. We're going to be uh, doing some sicker drives. We're going to be doing some deer drives down there. And uh, we'll just continue to grind out the rest of the season, probably doing bow drives every weekend and, and uh, putting in what time I can during the week, you know, trying to find them them isolated pockets of deer, high stem count areas, and, you know, capitalizing on perfect conditions. Man, best of luck to you. Uh, grind it out, and I'm sure there'll be some good videos. Um, where uh, anybody listening to this, where can they kind of follow along and, and catch up with what you're doing throughout the hunting season? Um, yeah, they can, uh, either check out, um, Facebook, Instagram, um, in the presence, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, you know, or the, follow the Facebook page. And, uh, like I said, we, we try to put out the best content we can. It's, it's hard when you're kind of always self-filming, but, um, like I said, we'll try and be coming and they can follow along. Yeah. Really great really great content on your show i, I like the uh, like the stuff that all the guys are putting out i think the i said to this to you uh, when we got started I, I first started seeing uh videos when you guys were making late season drives with muzzle loaders and bows and stuff and man those are those are just those were probably some of the most entertaining uh hunts and videos that you guys have on there and that kind of led into a lot of the other solo hunts you guys do and you, you guys have had a lot of a lot of great successful hunts and uh we appreciate your uh you coming on to our show and, and chatting about it yeah no problem i think uh i think a lot of people enjoy seeing the deer drives because things just go from zero to 100 real quick and i mean you've seen it it's it's like war war you know it's like silver war man it's just <laughs> muskets flying arrows flying whatever so it's a lot of fun man get together with your friends and you know kind of get some blood flowing in that cold weather and you know having fun so absolutely some of my some of my best memories are late season muzzleloader drives when you get groups of deer herded up and get you know get stuff moving and I, i'm no stranger to having large groups like that come out it's exciting anybody who's never experienced it man they're missing out yeah, yeah, definitely, man. This time of year, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. So it's cool. We like doing it. Good deal. Hey, thanks again, man. All right, buddy. You take it easy. You too. I appreciate. You.